0: This is Sound Lives, a New Music Box podcast sharing insights and stories from people who dedicate their lives to new music. Brought to you by New Music USA, the resource for adventurous creators and listeners in the US and beyond.
1: Welcome to Sound Lives. I'm Frank J. O'Terry. You're listening to the new Bright Shiny Things recording of the Del Sol String Quartet performing the climactic section of A Dust in Time, a deeply personal hour-long musical response to the pandemic by Chinese-American composer Huang Ro. Huang Ro is our guest on this episode of Sound Lives. We'll talk about music-making during the pandemic, creating works that focus on Asian-American experiences, and how almost all performances of Huang Ro's music contain theatrical elements. It feels like almost every piece of music of yours, no matter what form it's in, has some kind of theatrical element. There's some kind of drama going on, even if it's a completely instrumental piece with no words at all, there's some movement, there's something something that takes it beyond the notes.
0: Sometimes I do it intentionally, and sometimes it's unconsciously. I always felt that there is a certain degree of theatricalism in my music.
1: What's interesting also is that it sort of requires a different mindset of the performer in a way. Oftentimes, motion is part of it. It's not just sitting and playing your instrument, but it's doing Mm -hmm. other things that maybe people who are trained in a conservatory in Western classical music are not
0: necessarily used to doing. It's funny you mentioned about training in a Western conservatory setting. The so very first musical performances I saw when in my childhood actually uh, was not Western symphonic or chamber music performances. It was a village opera I saw with my grandmother. In those days, the villages, they have a communal open area. And during the daytime, you know, people will bring their clothes to dry. They will bring the rice to be dry. And it was a place where people hang out and do their daily life thing. But at night, sometimes it turns into an opera performance place. It's outdoor, there's no fixed chairs. Uh, no hierarchy of more expensive seats or less expensive seats is, is free. So you just uh, bring your own chair, find your own spot, bring your own food and drink. And during opera troops, they go from village to village to perform. Those are my first memories of seeing performances. And not until when I was in Shanghai, maybe 13 or 14 year old, I really saw a live performance of symphonic concert. To me, the definition of what is a performance, it was a little bit different from a Western conservatory trend tradition.
1: What I find so compelling about your music is there are so many rewards from listening, but you get additional rewards from looking as well. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Listening to a CD will give you a two-dimensional space instead of four when you really see a theatrical performance. But also to me, I think uh, classical Western music developed into a way, at least to, in some corners of the world, composers will put in the exact notation, no matter it's dynamic or articulation. If we talk about like boulettes, that kind of uh, composer will put in every detail differences between note to note, from note to note. So a performer in a way becomes so mechanically trained and try to bring that exactness to life. But to me, I think there are many things existing in music that could not be put on paper. I believe in jazz culture, you have improvisation, for example. And in Eastern culture, improvisation and also from the memory, on the spot, that kind of creation, it was called on quite commonly. And also one performer, they tend to able to play multiple instruments instead of just one instrument, very highly trained for the whole life for that. I think it's different tradition and they each has their own beauty, but as a composer who came from the East and living in the West, and went through both training and also culture. To me, I tend to want to bring out the best of both traditions. And of course, if everything just not written on paper, every time it's different. There are a certain degree of differences of freedom for the singer, for the musician to offer to the audience. I also love that as well.
1: For a composer, this idea that you can have everything on the page gives you sort of a sense that, okay, my music will survive. Even if I am not there doing it, they will still be doing my music as they're following these very, very precise instructions. But of course, you're also a conductor. So you're actually part of most of the performances that happen, at least of the larger scale pieces. So Mm -hmm. there is liberty in it, but you're sort of there to guide it as well. In a way that if somebody Uh, was not to conduct or not to play mm -hmm. in the piece, maybe there'd be less of them there. I don't know.
0: Right. Even when I teach my students at manners, I often encourage them to conduct their own music. Composers should be able to uh, deliver your music more directly to the audience through conducting or through attending live rehearsals. And it's a good skill to have some conductors also write their own music. I think the line between conductor and composers or performers in that sense, performers write music, composers perform, I think has been a great tradition from the past and we should not let that disappear. We should encourage that also. Back to the idea of having musicians to act or to speak or to sing, to do theatrical elements, I don't see music just exist on paper in a two-dimensional space, but also the moment a performer creates the music. They are not just a clarinetist, a flutist, but they are a performer. They are someone who performs. They are someone who interpret. They are someone who acts to bring the music to life. So to me, it's a ritual ceremony instead of just a machine reading or playing or singing whatever is on the paper
1: of course, four dimensionality, right? You're in this space. Mm -hmm. It's not just seeing and hearing it, but seeing and hearing it in time, in a 360 kind of environment where sounds travel and you often have pieces where performers move around. So the sound is coming from different places. And you said earlier that a recording gives you only two dimensions. Of course, Mm -hmm. for now, almost two years, We've been living Mm -hmm. in this very strange world. You know, here we are continuing it in our Zoom conversation where we're not actually together in the same room. Live performance has started happening again these last few months, and it's been wonderful to hear all this live music. But with the recent scare and everything going on, you know, who knows Mm -hmm. if we're going to be back to like all our concerts on YouTube or Zoom or Facebook Live. But I wanna say one of the things that inspired me to talk to you during this time Mm -hmm. is I was so, so, so moved by a dust in time when I heard Mm -hmm. the Del Sol Quartet, saw and watched them perform it online. You know, that was the only way I heard music, only way most of us heard music all last year. But that transcended the medium, even though it was on this box, through the laptop. So great to finally hear it live at the Museum of Chinese in America in Chinatown, which was actually the first concert we went to that we were in the audience Really? since since the pandemic. Yeah. (laughs) But you managed to capture that ritual element
0: online. You are absolutely right. No matter what happened, our creativity and our ability to share should not be stopped. Either a pandemic or uh, whatever that will hit on us. And I think with online streaming or sharing, it gives us another tool to feel connected, right? But I also would say to see the piece, to hear the piece live, no matter what music it is, if it's meant to be written for live audience, I think nothing could really replace that particularly when we talk about theater or opera, you want to see people split at each other. You want to see clothes. I think opera and theater will never die for that reason. People still want to go in to feel that four-dimensional space and time. In movie, they will need you to wear glasses to see 3D. But in theater, we already achieved that thousand years ago. So this is something we should not give up, but should keep continuing. Thank you for mentioning, and also uh, viewing a dust in time. It was written at first just for myself as a way out, as a medication or meditation to help me to cope with the pandemic. Like many other people, I was fell into uh, depression or numbness, not feeling motivated or not feeling uh, my purpose at the beginning of uh, March 2020 when the virus came to New York everything got shut down so writing this piece really helped me to move forward to get me writing again and then it became a one hour long piece for that reason just because I don't treat it as a commission or as fulfilling a deadline I just feel I need to write. That helped me to feel alive, feel uh, uh, grounded, feel emotional again. So for that reason, a piece was created. And then I want to share that with as many people as possible.
1: And it has a very interesting structure.
0: It was inspired by the Tibetan sand mandala. When the mandala is created, finishing the creation is only the first part. And the second part is to erase the creation, to erase the mandala, to return the colorful sense back to the center, to mix them so that they become not existing as a perfect picture. But it teaches people living through the process, the experience of gaining and letting go is a life lesson. There are so many times when we are in good time, we just feel the need of gaining, but not necessarily the need of letting go. And I think one big lesson I learned during the pandemic is accepting our fate, accepting where we are, but also learning how to let go of the things we might have to lose. So the peace is in a palindromatic form. So the first 30 minutes is to start from nothing, two notes, and then slowly like a spiral shape, ascending, building up to the most colorful and most vibrant and most active climatic point. And then from that point onwards, it decreases and returning back to the beginning, two notes, slowly and in the same duration the same ratio to me is almost like a variation without a theme in that sense. Every one of them is a variation connecting, reflecting to one another. So there are 13 of them totally. So number seven is the center pole and one to six go up to seven and then seven down to uh, 13. Back to the beginning and from the last two notes, you can actually go on an infinite journey <laughs> and to restart a piece again without really stopping it. So that's the idea.
1: Oh, we gotta get we gotta get Del Sol to play it for like 24 hours.
0: Right? <laughs> <Now>. uh, <laughs> I, you I would running. love to be there for that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's listen to an earlier section from Wong Rose, A Dust in Time, performed by the Del Sol String Quartet, released by Bright Shiny Things. Mm. They did it live what was so wonderful about it is they also gave everybody in the audience mandalas to color with crayons i've never been at a concert where everybody is like listening so intently to the music and even though they have paper it was quiet you couldn't yeah. hear the noise but people were
0: engaged on this other level it was fascinating they actually recently released a cd with coloring book designed by this young student, Felicia from uh, California. For people who buy the physical copy, they actually gain a coloring book. They can uh, color at home or give it to friends or families. To me, it's just one more way to share. They are connecting loosely because the structure of the piece and uh, the newly created mandala for coloring. But of course, you can also enjoy listening to the piece without doing anything extra just with your eyes closed and just let go of yourself and let go of your guard and just to accept what you will hear
1: well i was thinking they should give everybody both crayons and erasers so that they can erase
0: (laughs) 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 i love the idea maybe the next edition it will come with that
1: (laughs) (laughs) Del Sol did another big piece of yours recently, the yeah. Angel Island Oratorio, which is a very different kind of a piece. It's a very disturbing story. You know, everybody in America knows the story of Ellis Island and this kind yeah. of welcoming, the Statue of Liberty, you know, give us, you're tired, you're poor, you're hungry. And Angel Island was a terrible entry point into this country for many, many people.
0: When um, Chowton Lee the violist from the Del So Quartet contacted me about applying for a grant together. He sent me this poetry book. It's called Poems from the Islands. Most of them are from the Angel Island, but also a few poems from uh, the Victoria Island in Canada, and also I believe a few ones from the Alice Island also. So the project started with this poetry book. Apparently, on the Angel Island, which actually you could oversee the Golden Gate Bridge, if you are on the island, it's a very uh, beautiful uh, scenic island. If you go to visit it, you will never imagine the dark history associated with it. But at the turn of the last century, between 1910 to 1940, there were a barrack was built as a detention center on the island, their purpose is to uh, detain immigrants who want to come into the U.S. from Asia. So most of the newly arrivals are from uh, China, some are from Japan, from Korea, from India, also other Asian countries. Now, the idea is to not to welcome everybody in, but to really check Physical check and also background check, every check try to deter as many people as possible. Some people were detained on the island for weeks. Some are up to more than two years. Some people died on the island. A lot of them got sent back to Asia. So the detainees on the island, most of them are from China. They actually uh, wrote poetry and they cut the poems Onto the or into the wooden wall of the building because the building is made by wood for preventing earthquake purpose. So we have all these poems preserved on the wall and printed out as a book. So the idea was to create an oratoria to involve a choir and uh, with the quartet, to perform this piece. And later on, I decided to uh, not just set the poems from the book, from the war, but also to bring in stories happening around those times or even before to make them into like speaking scene, and then have music going with it. The choir members will tell you stories. One very uh, dark story of the L.A. massacre happened in uh, 1880 or eighty one a dozen Chinese people were lynched in Chinatown LA because uh, there was a conflict, they were punished. So that was one story. And I basically just had the names of the victims being read out, also their profession. To me, that's powerful enough. You no need to say more. And with music, with the names, people hear them, people get the picture. And then there is another scene, for example, I bring the time to, uh, to Hong Kong. It's an interview scene. When the Page Act was passed, basically it prevented Chinese women to immigrate to the U.S. The idea behind the act was because when the female came, they could have children, and then you will have legal U.S. citizens being born. Then you have to accept them. By preventing the woman to come, so all these Chinese men, they have to die here without any uh, offspring. So uh, they are either deciding to leave or they actually went to Latin America to Cuba, some of them, because Cuba allow uh, interracial marriage. So in this interview, they will ask questions to the Chinese woman who want to get a visa. Have you lived your life as a righteous woman? Have you engaged an, in any illegal uh, transaction of sex in Hong Kong, Macau, Canton? You know, some of the questions are quite comical. Would you promise to live a righteous life after you arrive? This or that, and then they also send you to the hospital to have a physical check by a doctor. Doctor will report back to the consulate about each woman's character, their physical condition. Yeah, I mean, imagine in this world, before you immigrate to a country, those questions are being asked to you. And of course, the larger idea of treating one race or one group of people differently because of their race and uh, where they came from. This has not been uh, seized. And even in uh, modern day, we keep repeating the same mistakes and yeah,
1: they still ask those questions. You know, you go through this process. And this is the truth about immigrating here. It It isn't the welcoming statue. <laughs> you know, the, the myth is that we all grow up thinking it's, I haven't heard the whole thing. I only heard a little excerpt. They put up an excerpt from a rehearsal. So I heard part of it. It's extremely beautiful. I hope we'll get to hear the whole thing at some point. And, and I imagine live, if, if yeah. we'll be able to do concerts live next year, but hopefully there'll be an opportunity to hear it. And I imagine it probably could work in two dimensions on a recording.
0: I determined to bring Angel Island Autoria to New York. New York is my home, but also, hello, we have Alice Island here. And uh, I think that uh, to really connect the points to create this contrast, to tell the stories, like what we are talking about here. I think more people should know about it. The only way we could learn not to repeat the same mistake is by really learning what happened in the past. And that's how I learned. And I do feel that with all the anti-Asian hates out there during the pandemic or even before, some people are ignorant. They just don't know Asian or Asian Americans living here a lot of them has been part of the American history. They are not just tourists. They are not just parasites. They are part of the society, part of the life of American, making history. So we should be treated equally, regardless if it's new immigrants or people have lived here for centuries.
1: Here's a brief excerpt from Wong Rose Angel Island Oratorio performed by the Volte Vocal Ensemble and the Del Sol String Quartet recorded during a rehearsal right before the world premiere in October 2021. another story that a lot of people don't know the full story of but which inspired you to create an opera is the story of an american soldier which is the story of a chinese american army soldier in afghanistan tragic story america's longest war which we finally got out of sadly nearly a decade after he lost his life there
0: yeah this was a an opera that was originally premiered in 2014, the chamber version. President Obama was in his second term. I still remember that feeling of those days. The race issue was not really talked about as now as front and center, not to mention racism towards Asian Americans, almost unheard of. So David and I, David Henry Huang, this is we created this opera at that time was i remember there was a critic who came to review our opera wrote that both david and i created this work is very bombatically anti-american work and i remember seeing that was feeling uh so beaten down in a way that it was absolutely not our intention to create division but is to let people know what happened and in hope that could help to bring more awareness of the racism issues towards the minorities, and in this case, to uh, Asian Americans. Now, the backstory was Private Danny Chan, who was physically and also verbally uh, hazed and abused in Afghanistan. His life was ended. And his family approached David Henry Huang in 2012 to uh, create a play or create something about Danny's story. And David felt that it was too recent, too real. As a play, obviously you almost act out the history in front of your eyes, right? And at that time, I got a project to create an opera, chamber opera, and David shared with me this idea. Uh, What if we create this as an opera? both of us felt that is the right media for that because with opera, you could have a chance to bring out the deep emotion of the character. And I think that is what this opera needs, not just telling what happened to Danny Chen, but also the mother Chen and Danny Chen story, how the first and second generation Chinese Americans in this opera, what are their differences? What bring them together, right? So, to me, it is even more so today, very timely opera. If you look back at that moment, we don't do it just for the sake of create a conversation or create a, that is the hot topic we created. No, none of that. We created it because we believe it. This is the right course. We need to let people know about this.
1: Let's hear a bit of Sleep Now, Little One, a beautiful lullaby from an American soldier, here sung by Guang Yang with the Shanghai Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Liang Zhang. This beautiful lullaby is featured in Into the Vast World, a 2020 CD devoted to Huang Ro's music released on Innova. Similarly, you have another opera that deals with you know the aftermath of another pointless war, uh, the Vietnamese War, and a family of immigrants who arrive here, I'm, I'm speaking of bound, lack of cultural understanding between the newly arrived Vietnamese immigrants and the culture that they're thrust in creates these Mm -hmm. tensions and these problems. And once again, I, I haven't heard the whole piece. There's the first scene, which is very beautiful that the opera company posted live. And it really makes this very recent mundane story ritualistic. It becomes a much larger story than the original, which is something that you can do in opera.
0: It's based on a true story, based on what happened to Diane Tran, who was a teenager student in Texas who, because of the parents' divorce, and she has to take on the duty of earning income to support her family. So she has to take on, you know, full-time jobs. Uh, Because of that reason, she has to miss many school days. In Texas, at least in those days, there was something called the truancy law. Maybe it still exists now. So she was sentenced to a juvenile court and prison because of that. She received the last warning from the judge and she still missed class. And then she was sentenced to prison time. Bao Long Chu is the beautiful poet and librettist who created this opera with me. He himself is a refugee, I believe. And uh, came to America with his family when he was in his very young age. So he had that very similar experience. We want to base on this true story, but also want to focus on one night. The night Diane spent in the prison, she has these nightmares and memories bringing back about what happened to her. Mother is leaving the family because she was coping with the war trauma. Father never home her boss forced her to work long hours. And uh, at the court, the judge has to be bound by the American law. So each character has their own dilemma, has their own duty to be bounded to. Uh, it's not just easily black and white, who is right or who's wrong. To me, opera should tell a story more complex than that to let the audience to reflect and to think to find their own answer. So yes, so Bond was created as a chamber opera for that reason. And in those days, I was very curious about, focus on the second generation, Asian American. I came to US as a student. I have friends who born and raised in America, Asian American don't speak any language other than English. Sometimes more than one person would tell me their family doesn't encourage them to learn about their culture because the parents want them to live a life as 100 percent American as possible, fit in, to blend in no accent, just speak English as perfect as possible to to have the superheroes. Uh, none of them look like them, obviously, but uh, that is their childhood. that is their growing up, right? So I'm very curious, to me, of course, I am an immigrant myself. I came from a different background, but my children, they are living the same born and raised in America, second generation life. What can I do for them? I hope you're
1: making sure they speak, (laughs) that they speak other languages besides English.
0: Definitely. And again, this happened over the pandemic, this July 4th, my wife brought some uh, firework for the two kids we have for them to, you know, play outdoor. I saw that. I was so emotionally outburst. I called them to me. I said, uh, do you know who invented firework? Mm-hmm. I even asked the question out loud. My son was, I mean, who? You know what? That was the first time I swallowed my words. Not try to be proudly to tell them the Chinese people, I did not tell them that. Why? I had this fear in me, sudden, constant fear suddenly appeared in my mind. What if I told them, they heard that, they remember that, and they repeat that at school, and they could be penalized or being uh, discriminated for being uh, uh, Asian American. So I did not tell them the spot. I hated myself for not sharing with them Wow. at that moment the second day I thought through that I finally shared with them but that is so real Frank you know let me tell this I never felt so fearful in my life at that moment to try to hide mine and also their identity to not to share with them who they are believe that in 21st century America
1: It's shocking. And we have to get past this moment. And I really feel this way. It is through creative work, through art, through music, through paintings, through novels, that can bring people to a zone of empathy, where they can understand if they're paying attention, if they're listening, if they're watching, they can empathize with people other than themselves and understand those people and see and hear their humanity because it's so divisive right now it's terrifying and works like this I think are are works that people need to see and hear to hear these stories of these people and to to hear that these people are people just like they are and they have the same hopes and fears and dreams and loves and failures and successes. Another piece I wanna talk with you a little bit about is Mm -hmm. the biggest opera you've done to date, which is an opera about Sun Yat-sen, who is probably the only person who's revered as a hero, both in mainland China and in Taiwan, and is very, very important figure. Yet in the Western world, in in, in America, I I guarantee you most people
0: in this country have never heard of Sun Yat-sen. Right. I remember when I was a a student, young student uh, back in China, you know, I will learn about the Western history. We even learn about the story of George Washington, you know, the revolution, this or that. But in America, in public school, at least, I don't know about private school, I would assume maybe similar. Can you find a school will teach you the Eastern history or not to say history of India or China, but just in general, Eastern history, right? No, we don't even learn about our own uh, discrimination views such as uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act. Those are not taught at school. This was my first opera It was a tall task to create an opera that basically has a chorus, has dancers, has orchestra, has a leads. But no matter what the art form is, the idea is to tell a story that hopefully people could learn more about another culture. And Sun so Yat-sen was the founding father of modern China. And uh, if you go to Chinatown or go to different cities. Normally, you will have a, a Sonia Sen statue somewhere. I think in Vancouver, there's one, maybe in uh, San Francisco. And in China, all, definitely in Taiwan also, there's a Sonia Sen Park, Sonia Sen uh, Road. So in that regard, he was uh, remembered as an uh, important figure, political figure, but To me, another thing brought me to write this opera is um, he is a local hero to me. You know, he is from Canton. I visited his hometown. He never finished his dream. But this is what interests me. To tell his human story, the true meaning of revolution is not about just being successful, but about keep trying. So that to me is important. Now, Back to the idea is what opera is good for and what opera is about i often want to find subjects or objects that yes could be a very uh, personal story or a specific character even true story you know this also is a true story so understand story but i want to make the theme make the idea universal so that People could really feel related to it, to feel they not just see a beautiful landscape in front of you, it's other people's story. No, they they want to feel it's their story also.
1: What's interesting to me is you describe him as as a local hero and a personal hero and and someone from Canton. And I know that there was a very conscious decision to set the opera in the Chinese language, but you wound up choosing to do it in Mandarin, And I know initially there was some talk of maybe doing it in Cantonese, but the idea was that more people spoke Mandarin, so it would be a more practical idea to do it that way.
0: Well, that is one reason. We do want to reach more audience. If you understand the language, it's better for you to hear and see the opera without go back and down with the subtitle. But, of course, in real life, Sonia sent when he communicated with his friends, like the Charlie Song couple, who are Shanghainese, you know, all his friends in the other place, I don't think he will only be Cantonese with everyone. And, of course, our story goes from different places. But I do have a scene is written in Cantonese. So Cantonese is also used in the opera. That was the scene when he had a very personal exchange with his first wife, Lu Muzhen, who he had to divorce in order to marry Song Qingling. Lu Muzhen came to his wedding with everybody's surprise, but she actually gave him her consent. So in the intimate dialogue, it was set in... A, Cantonese singing, because I feel at that moment should be just two of them could understand what they are singing to each other, even in the opera setting or the party guests, you know, his new wife or the parents of the wife, none of them should able to understand what they are singing. So for that artistic reason, and of course, that is the language they will speak to each other because they are both from Canton. We should listen to something from
1: Wang Rou's opera Sun Yat sen. Here's just a taste of a duet from the first act between Charlie Sung and Ni Yen, the parents of Ching Ling, Sun Yat sen's second wife, here sung by bass baritone Dang Zhang Gong and mezzo soprano Guang Yang. <laughs> Fascinating, this idea of purposefully, you know, using language that people might not understand. This reminds me, to take it back many, many years, this wonderful, wonderful piece you wrote for Min Xiao Fen Written on the Wind, ah, which you know, yes. she initially asked you to set a text in Chinese, which she felt more comfortable singing. And you decided mm-hmm. to instead use this non-existent language, your own created language. And you told her at the time that it was. That you know, you go to operas in languages that you don't understand, and you you see it, and language takes on this other dimension, and you hear it in a new way. You've never given anybody a clue as to what the real meaning is of the text of written on the wind, and you make your and own it, interpretation. It should be
0: kept, right? Should be kept in the wind. <laughs> uh, maybe this has something to do with my Eastern background or aesthetics not filling the glass with full of water just give the audience room to uh, imagine to uh, create their own interpretation it is an extension of art we create sometimes we do need that to complete our art form for written on the wind i wrote it for my dear friend uh, Ming Xiaofen. I know she could sing. Maybe not too many people know this could remain still a secret. She started out as a pop singer. <laughs> she sings before she plays the instrument. So singing has always been a part of traditional Chinese pipa playing that is uh, also uh, play and sing at the same time. However, nowadays, people just specialize in singing or specialize in their instrument. They don't do both anymore. So I say, Xiaofen, I will write this piece for you if you could sing and play at the same time. So she happily accepted. Now, the idea is I wanted to create this work. I called it a drama theater. Back to your first comment to me of, I often see drama even in uh, instrumental music, which is true. Now, in this case, it is for a solo pipa player but I want to create something what I call a a miniature opera or drama theater in that sense. I created a language, doesn't really mean anything. Because of that, it means everything. It could mean everything. We had this uh, live performance version of Xiao Play and Sing as a concert version. I also invited a kinetic painter, uh, Norman Perman, to create. a a visual go with this piece. And also this piece I was imagining could be done as a dance. I could invite a choreographer to create their own narrative and also could create it as a drama to have a director, theater opera director to have people to act it out. So it could be a comedy, it could be a tragedy, it could be a fiction, it could be a meditation. there are so many things this could be just because the language itself doesn't really tell one story. So this is the benefit of this work. And I actually wrote the music first in this work, and then the language will add afterwards. So that is also a little bit anti-normal opera writing.
1: This is the opening of Huang Ro's Drama Theater Number 3, written on the wind, sung and performed on the pipa, by Min Xiao Fen from a CD released on Noxos American Classics. these drama pieces, because you have five of them. And I remember when the disc came out on Noxos, I was initially, I have to confess, very disappointed that all five of them weren't there, that you only had three of them. And then I did right. some investigating, and I tracked down you know, the very first one, Sound of Hand, and it's this amazing, magical piece But you couldn't have a CD recording of it.
0: Right, no way.
1: It's not about sound. It's about, it's a very unusual, strange piece. There have been other pieces that do similar things that kind of challenge the very definition of music, but there hasn't been a piece quite like that in a very long time. I'm curious about when you approach that with a percussionist, in a way... I mean, the the percussionist has to be a dancer. The percussionist has to be an actress. It's not your typical
0: percussion piece. Frank, first of all, thank you for noticing this piece. And uh, that started my drama theater journey, I should say. I was invited to write a piece for uh, uh, my dear friend, David Schatzko, who you might know from... uh, Eyes and uh, for his uh, senior recital, I believe. So he wanted me to write a, a solo piece. So he played for me all this good, the classical contemporary uh, solo percussion repertoires, Zenakis, Rebounds, you know, even to some percussion pieces by David Lang and uh, a lot of great pieces, obviously. After all this listening, I just told him, I said, you know what, I want to approach it like a Chinese medicine. I want to give you this piece. It clean out all your right or wrongs in your system, just to rebuild you from nothing to something, from bottom up. And then I created this piece. I, I was just saying, you know, I want a piece to have the hand just as the instrument without holding anything and has the hand itself could be the skin of the drum, the symbol, the surface of a percussion instrument. Sometimes they are moving in the air. People might not hear anything, but they could see everything. It is a performance art piece. It's not just a piece for solo percussionists. And also I told David, I say, look, I want to make this piece as a piece that everybody can do, not just a trained percussionist. A dancer could do it. A regular person, they could see the score, they could learn it almost like a Tai Chi, uh, like a Kung Fu piece. I hope this piece could help people to build their own uh, being mental and also physical. So that was the original purpose. Another interesting thing about this piece is uh, a lot of people have asked me, including my publisher, whether I can uh, write notations explanation to this piece. If you see the score of it, it actually uh, was drawings. I draw the whole score out just by hand on a 11 times 17 paper. I was researching on Laban notation, which is a dense notation. And then I was like, "Mm, that's not what I want. So if you look at the score, there are drawings of hands from box to box. And then I will give a time code of each box, how long that motion should last. The whole graphic of the score, I think seven pages, basically. I intentionally don't want to write out what each box mean or what each notation mean because I want to have a talk with each person who want to do this piece. I often welcome them to contact me, and it has been several percussionists contacting me. I will always explain the notation to them, go through the process with them. And the reason is I want each of them to take something different or something out of this piece from my explanation to create their own uh, version of this piece. So it's not meant to be played exactly the same. David does it very differently from another percussionist called Ayano, who interpreted this piece in a total very Japanese zen Make this piece longer for that reason. But I love both interpretation equally. To me, that is the beauty of this drama theatre. Every time it's performed by a different performer, it has its own life, it has its own... Uh, interpretation there's no right or wrong in them
1: wow there's a more recent series of instrumental pieces that have these theatrical elements the resonant theater pieces yeah yeah the sonic great wall which is another piece yeah. that you really can't experience in two dimensions you really need this full thing but to come back full circle i'm seeing this now i, I looked at it again earlier today yeah. before talking with you and i thought you know, I'm looking at it with 2020s brain, and you know, and I'm thinking to myself, "Wow, this is a dangerous piece." You know, everybody's too close to everybody else. <laughs> this is kind of, you know, a super spreader <laughs> piece of music.
0: It's hard to do this piece in a, a pandemic world, I should say. That's also why I believe everything happened in our life for a reason. I was fortunate to create this piece back in what 2016 or seventeen now. Normally, I don't get to ask to write for you know all these amazing uh, ensembles from Europe. But suddenly, there was uh, this project that is a joint commission from uh, Ensemble Modern, Asco Schoenberg, and uh, London Symphonietta and the project is to connect. So to their great credit, they want to have music that they could connect with the audience. So that was the purpose. I was giving the task to create a piece. Maybe because of my pieces, uh, they felt I was the right person to invite to create. It was in my ra- alley, I often want to have piece that uh, you know, performer not just play audience not just sit there to listen. So in this, it's just a perfect match. Yeah, I created the Sonic Great Wall. I start to observe. The piece has been performed by British audience, British ensemble, German audience, German ensemble, Dutch also, American audience in New York as well. Very different, I should say. That was the beauty of this piece that, uh, you know, each time it should be different, uh, no matter where it is performed. Is a conceptual piece in a way that I build a great wall according to the space. now uh, national sawdust could be a super spreader event if we do it today, because people are, are sitting next to each other line by line. But another version, for example, in uh, uh, in Frankfurt, they have this place called the lab, Frankfurt Lab. It was like an armory, smaller scale. I was able to create a you know a really zigzag great wall. So it's more spread out with, you know, the right social distancing. (laughs) And the performer will walk while performing uh, between the audience. And the audience will react to the performer when uh, they come. They are asked to create their own words, own poetry, to recite, to shout, to read from other people's words, to recreate. To me, the idea is to use music. To bring down the barrier of what the physical war normally is. Wow.
1: Well, a final question for you, since we're we're talking about, you know, everything happening for a reason. Ah. An impossible question for you to answer. Given this crazy time we're in, and we don't know when we're going to get out of it. We thought we were getting out of it. Is there a way to create a socially fulfilling? Experience or a really immersive musical experience like the things that you've been doing live. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to do that in a world where we're all afraid to be
0: near each other? I think we need to learn to live with challenges, including this ongoing pandemic. One thing for sure art and music should continue to find its own way to be shared, to be created, and doing it online, that's like one way we could do I remember having a conversation with uh, an ensemble from Europe talking about doing my son in Great War online, because it's about traveling one place to another place, and maybe the performer they can jump in and out from their own space, and the audience could participate in their own space. We all need to connect, but also we need to be safely distancing ourselves now yes physically performer and audience might need to be distancing just for safety reason health reason however the main idea why we exist why we create art why art exists thousands of years even until we are long gone i believe this idea will still be there is to be shared to connect to connect people, to share with people. And that's the joy, that's the tears, that's the laughter. That's why we feel the burning of the art. And I believe that no matter what, that will still be felt and still be carried on. If we are persistently looking, searching, and thinking, we will find a good way to create that. So that's all I can answer. For this question.
1: This brings us to the end of this episode of Sound Lives with Huang Ro. But before we go, let's listen to a bit more of his music. Huang Ro's The Book of Mountain and Seas would have been staged this month during the prototype festival, which has unfortunately been postponed until next year due to Omicron. Here's some of a performance of The Book of Mountain and Seas by Ars Nova Copenhagen, conducted by Paul Hillier. Can't wait to see and hear this next year.
0: The New Music Box is brought to you by New Music USA, the resource for adventurous creators and listeners in the U.S. and beyond. This program is funded in part by the National Endowment for the Arts, the New York State Council on the Arts, the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs, and listeners like you. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit newmusicusa.org to explore more stories and voices from our new music community.